The Bernstein and Holmes Show. Middays 10 a.m. till 2 on Chicago Sports Radio 670 The Score. Dan Bernstein, Lawrence Holmes. The headline on this is Ryan Poles reveals Bears strategy for NFL number one draft pick. And I said, oh, really? He did? Entire world. The quotes are the money in this from Peter King. Do you believe him? Or do you think he's jawboning the market? I don't know. It's lying season, Dan, so I don't fully believe him. I feel like this was an opportunity for him to market. I wrote it in Sun-Times a couple weeks ago. You have to hope that your general manager is a good liar. The fact that he gave this interview could be read in two ways. One, puffy-chested. And come to me, I'm the guy, I'm going to enjoy this, and I'm going to ride this out as I could take this all the way up to being on the clock. No one rushes your boy, Ryan Poles. I don't get rushed. And that's fun. Okay, that's enough. I can't keep all my onions in, in a row here. On the other hand, there could be an undercurrent of desperation. Yes. That if there really were the market that he says, there's no reason to tell Peter King about it. That is correct. You can throw all of the other nonsense about him trading Justin Fields out the window. Or maybe you can't. Who knows? Who knows? It's lying season. That's what it is, Dan. Ryan Poles is out here like, hey, I got another guy on the other line for some white walls. Let me think it over, will you, Charlie? I got a guy on the other line about some white walls. I'll talk to you later. Bernstein and Holmes, your midday destination for Chicago sports talk. It's a fascinating game of liars poker. That was a crazy game of poker. Crazy game of poker. I lost it all. I lost it all. But someday I'll be back again. On Chicago Sports Radio, 670 The Score. Mike Rankin cutting and scratching on that one. We appreciate it. I I will have a whole column in the Tribune. I filed early this morning. I mean, Tribune, Sun-Times tomorrow. (laughs) Wrong paper. And the Sun-Times tomorrow uh, about Ryan Pohl's lying season in Liars Poker. That's what it is. Sun-Times. Hardest working newspaper. I'm starting to, to get a feel from just the the preponderance of evidence. And it's it's not based on anything sourced. And I'm not you know, talking to anybody about it. It's just kind of the way little things are starting to add up here that I think maybe sooner rather than later, at least for the first move, to get it kind of... Well, we'll talk about it later. We'll, yeah, we'll, we, we will. We'll I mean, and, and there's a lot of stuff to kind of jump into and talk about when it comes to Ryan Poles and what he said. What he's, Here's the thing. Can you remember, because this is what I wrote for the Sun-Times, can you remember a Bears general manager being this omnipresent? He's out there. He's, he's everywhere. Out, he's out there. He's Savoy Fair. He's everywhere. I've seen I've seen video of him doing interviews with Peter King and Barstool and uh, Johns and Hogue. Like he's everywhere. Like tell yeah, sure, I'll sit down and talk with you for an hour. Why not? I know, but we've never seen this. We've we've never seen hey, why don't we take advantage of the coverage and use it to message the rest of the league. 
let's take it. I, I've I'm trying to think back. Like this is not something that Jerry Angelo like. What we're used to with Bears people, and maybe polls will settle into this when he's not the the guy with the most money and the number one draft pick. We're used to the whisper campaign. Yeah, if I think of Bears GM since I started, they, there really wasn't one when I started on the beat because Dave was in charge of everything. And then there was the uncomfortable situation with Rod Graves, who was forced out, and Mark Hatley was brought in to just be the personnel guy with Dave having the final decision-making power. And then after that, we went into the Angelo regime, right? I'm trying to... Yeah. Th- that was the next like and person we- in charge and then you and that's get, when ted phillips still was on the football side a little bit was when angela was there and then he started to sort of pull himself out of that into emory, emory. after angelo and emory was definitely a cloak and dagger guy like stuff behind the scenes not a ton on the record and then ryan pace and you know, there are a lot of people who believe that some of the stuff with ryan pace is like anxiety that he's uncomfortable doing public speaking. And we know that a lot of his stuff was more behind the scenes and, you know, the national reporters kind of getting polls is like, Oh, this radio row at the combine. Hey, how's it going? I'll sit down with what what, you're the Indianapolis station. I'll sit (laughs) down with you. Let's talk about what you can do for us and what we can do for you. But like you said, we'll get into it a little bit later on in the show and we can discuss it. Uh, in, in a very voluminous manner. I enjoyed watching the high school basketball game last yeah, night. Yeah, I'm glad in the group chat you said it was, you know, it was late and close, and we put it on, and it, everything about it, it was, it was an intense, exciting game. Our guy, Kendall, they didn't cut away to I, I wanted... There was one cutaway earlier, earlier in the it. game where he had kind of his hat down and stuff because well, you knew that he would be <laughs> uncomfortable. Yeah, it was, it was fun, but... but Ignatius beat Gray's Lake and they advance. Gray's Lake Central. Gray's Lake Central. So so Ignatius advances to probably get destroyed by Simeon. Yes. Right. I would imagine that that's what's going to happen. But the game was really good, yeah. and I I, the, I thought I thought the broadcast was outstanding. So it was our guy Alex Cohen, right? The 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 Iowa play by play guy and Megan McEwen. She was really good too. Yep. Like that that was a and, and um. You, you forgot for whether it was a local high school broadcast because that sounded networky. What was great about it was the Grays Lake Central fans like really showed up. So they had created a great atmosphere. Like they had done all the stuff that they were doing, like it was a home game. Well, the whole lower bowl was filled at yes. Arena, and that place gets loud. And and so they were able to kind of create some energy. And early on, I was like, oh, my God, this is exactly what we have been talking about with the Bulls because the, the Grays Lake Central kids were, like, popping trays, man. And they were taking NBA threes, which to me was fascinating because they made a bunch of NBA threes. So they have the different lines because, obviously, the Windy City Bulls play there. And watching these kids, like, not be afraid to pull up from NBA range and knock them down was great. So shout out to Gray's Lake Central because they played a really, really hard game against St. Ignatius. And we were watching, obviously, because Kendall was on the show yesterday. His son, Phoenix, is is a forward for St. Ignatius. He's a sophomore playing with a bunch of seniors. But that kid, Barron, for St. Ignatius, like they gave him the ball. He was just starting to run people over. 
And he's a D1 commit, right? George, George Mason. George Mason. So, hey, it was it was it was a crackling good time. You know, like there was nothing really else that I was that interested in last night. I'm like, oh, let me let me see what's going on. Let me see Phoenix play. And then I'm like, this is enjoyable. Like it's it's good atmosphere. It was one of those day, games where like if it had been closer, maybe I would have gone. But now they get to go down to Champaign and probably get beat by Simeon. Yes. They're in tough against Simeon. Although Kenwood Kenwood right. got, got thumped. Yeah, Kenwood got beat. So, you know, but you're probably going to get beat by Simeon. And then the, Grays Lake was doing some stuff that I was getting a little. At the end of the game, they had the lead, and they were kind of doing a little four corners action. I was like, eh, I don't like this. I, I didn't know there was no shot clock at all in high school. Yeah. And so they they were trying to use it, but the Ignatius kids did a really good job of playing on top, like defense, like not just waiting back, like being aggressive and forcing passes and forcing action. It was cool. Like it was, it was really cool to see like an actual high school game with some, some buzz and some good fans and seeing the Ignatius kids like be all happy and stuff after they won and, it was it was a nice little treat. Like a, every now and again, you need a sports treat. Yeah, it was nice. It was fun. One of uh, one of Jason's longtime old travel baseball teammates is on the Ignatius team, and you know it's fun to sort of look. And and it, it's really it's it's weird now because he also has an old buddy of his who is on Cleveland State, and he's on the bench. But we tuned in a game. You know, like, there he like, is. Hey, put him in. He didn't. He didn't get the play. But you know, we always thought that that kid was going to be tall, and he ended up six nine. There you go. That's how you end up getting a D one scholarship. That's right. Get yourself a get tall and get yourself a free education. It may be something more. Who knows? Maybe you <laughs> turned it into something. Although, hey, Phoenix Gill plays hard. He does. Yeah, he's he's he when is. when he fills out. Like, because you know the growth spurt is getting ready to happen. Because his when, teammate has filled out. Oh, yeah, Mr. Barron is... Uh, <laughs> That's a large human being. Yeah. He's, he's only 6'4", but he's... he's a, What's his football position? He's got to be a I'm, whatever he wants. Yeah, right, I'm, that sure, level. I'm sure that that guy is playing defensive line or something for them because he, he was... When he decided that he wanted to go to the basket yesterday, the Grays Lake Central kids were like, oh, man, here comes this dude again. And... And on top of the the broadcast being crisp and there being great energy, the referees did a nice job of not over-officiating the game. Like, I'm watching that game like, yeah, let them play. Let's go. And the other thing I didn't know, they don't wipe the floor when somebody falls down. They don't? No. I didn't even catch that. The ref had to come over and, like, he was squeaking his sneakers to, to try to dry the floor. And I kept saying, like, you, you in the in the IHSA playoffs, you can't have someone's little brother, little sister. Yeah, someone's got to clean the floor, man. You got it. You you don't want to have this decided because somebody slips on a on a, on a on a sweat blob. Yeah, that's not good. Like they don't. I, I guess they don't do it. No, wipe the floor down. Yeah, you got on. That's not hard to do. Wipe it down. Somebody just run out there and and because you don't. I mean, that's just not safe. You don't. Somebody be pulling a groin or something. And there Come was a, there was a lot of falling because there was a ton of contact yesterday in the game but it was cool i i enjoyed it and then i watched a little bit of you know some of the college tournament stuff and i i mean i feel the way i've made up my mind i made up my mind 
about the the NCAA tournament. Wait, were you singing "Here I Go Again"? No, I was singing "Foxy Lady" by Jimmy Hendrix. Oh, I, I thought you, I, I thought it was it was was that White Snake? No, because I made up my mind. No, it was Jimmy Hendrix. Again, again, Foxy Lady. Here I go again on my own. Okay. Foxy Lady. All right, good. Just, just, just glad we clarified that because that would have really surprised me. Foxy. So I, I've already saucy. decided when saucy, 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 <laughs> different lady. When it comes to to the NCAA tournament, <laughs> I I have no thoughts because I think everyone can beat everyone in this year's tournament. Because most of them suck. I mean, that's that's the subtext of this. Mm-hmm. But you know, I'm I I don't believe in Zach Eady. I believe he's a really good college player. He's a little dirty in the game against Illinois. Lawrence, what was that song you were singing or referencing? Foxy Lady. But that wasn't the song I was referencing. That's the song he was referencing. Absolute dog food. He's not wasted no more time. He's made up his mind. So no, he's very decisive in that I, way. I was doing Jimmy Hendrix. He's what do you think you learned about yourself in this series? Uh, I didn't learn anything about myself. <laughs> I got White Sox thoughts when we come back. Oh, and I, got, no. I have questions because there's the, a lot of White Sox stuff out there. Let Dan. me just say this too. I I am hopeful that things are okay. I'm hopeful that the Pedro Griffol hire is going to solve a lot of problems. It seems like it. Like it, it seems like things are moving in the right direction. Right. With That's the White that. Sox. That needs to be said before we do this. Oh Lord. But there's. But it, hey, if they're going to keep dragging, dredging up last year and the last two years, and the and people involved are going to be. Uh, planting the stories that they want to have retroactive narratives, then we've got to react to it because we're still cleaning up that mess. And that's the theme here is that because still the question remains, what do I always say is the fundamental question regarding the White Sox? Who's in charge of the White Sox? Who's in charge at every single level? Who is in charge? And if the Pedro Griffal hire helps define that, then more power to you. But they're, they are relitigating the last two years. They're talking about what's going on. They're talking about last year and the La Russa era and everything else. So it, it means we have to talk about it. I'm hopeful that things are changing, but they keep pulling us back in. So that's where we're going next on the score. Bernstein and Holmes, middays 10 to 2 on Sports Radio 670 The Score and 670thescore.com in Odyssey Station. Hey, Eloy, do you have people on this team that you feel like can be leaders in the absence of, of Abreu now that he's gone? Are there other people who can step up in his place? I don't know. Uh, like, I don't know. I don't have uh, the answer of that. Leadership, in my opinion, is uh, 10% given, 90% taken. And somebody's going to take it. You know, somebody's going to step up and, and, and lead this ball club, if not multiple guys. Uh, so we'll, we'll just wait and see. I'm not going to rush that process. That's Aloy Jimenez and Pedro Griffol. 
but leadership. And we know that in any organization, you've Eloy. got Aloy. It's Eloy. It's Eloy, like the yeah. Morlocks and the Eloy. So HG Wells, the White Sox the time machine. I started. I, like, I started Aloy. saying Eloy again last year because the White Sox do this thing where they do a, a, a pronouncer. They have a phonetic all, guide. Yeah, they have all the players say their names, and he says Eloy. Okay, we'll see if we can find it so that everyone can be on the same page. So that was like Maglio or Maglio, and it's and it's Luis Robert, like. That's it. Junior. 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 That's right. You got to put that Junior. Junior. You shut your mouth, Junior. You can't stand the heat. Get out of the kitchen, Junior. Junior. So it's Eloy. Yeah. Okay. According to him. All right. Cool. And that's what I'll go with, right? Like, that's what you're supposed to go with until we meet. Hi, Mom. And she tells us that it's something different. All the questions about the White Sox lead back to who's in charge? Who's in charge of hiring a manager? who's in charge of setting the overall direction of the organization, because we've never really known. They they spread everything out between Jerry Reinsdorf and Kenny Williams and Rick Hahn, and sometimes some people are responsible for some things, and other times other people are responsible for other things, and they speak in the passive voice, and they leak things to favored media members, and that's how we try to figure out what's going on. Well, it happened again now, on one level with Bob Nightingale, Writing a story is like, hey, you can't blame Tony. It's not Tony's fault. Well, there, there, there's Tony. He's there. That's the, the the part where I was just like, oh. There he is. Come on, man. Listen, let me just read you the first two paragraphs of Bob's piece. Phoenix, Arizona. Hello. Hall of Fame manager Tony La Russa was standing by the railing in Chicago White Sox chairman Jerry Reinsdorf sweep, keeping score, jotting down notes, and acting as if little has changed. Huh? Larusa, 78, continues to battle serious health issues and undergoes weekly treatments, but has informed only his family and close friends of his exact condition. So, Dan, let me throw the question back at you. Who's running the White Sox? We don't know. What's he doing there? I guess when I read it, I was like, all right, look. He lives there. He's and you know my whole thing was I'm cool if Tony has on a polo. Like that was my whole thing. If Tony wants to wear a polo, fine. As long as he's not wearing a uniform anymore. So older guy, been going through some stuff. It's his close friend. He goes out to the ballpark, gets some sunshine. Like that's okay. the like like that's the best case scenario, right? Like this he just wants to to feel like he's a part of something. It gives him something to to do. Like, all that stuff. Okay, but if that's the case, then why are they spinning this? Why are they selling this and pitching it to Nightingale and having Nightingale write a piece where it says he can no longer be blamed? Why bother trying to 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 resurrect and, and, and clean everything up it here? It literally, Dan didn't editorialize that. It literally says in the in the piece, he, he can no longer be blamed. Like, that, it says that. That's written. Why? Why go through the effort to rehabilitate his image if he's not going to play a role? I I don't know. I and I part of the reason that I didn't because I mean I I settled on Tony in a polo, but part of the reason that I didn't even want him in a polo is that I wanted Pedro Grafol to just have his thing. Yes, it's not fair to him. And then Joe Kelly says. 
Nobody was taking accountability. It was easy for the fans to say it was Tony's fault. It was easy for the writers to say it was Tony's fault. It was easy for other teams from afar to say it was Tony. It didn't matter who was managing. We didn't play hard enough. We didn't focus enough. We embarrassed ourselves. Well, I think both happened. Correct. I think I think you didn't play hard enough, you didn't focus enough, and you embarrassed yourselves, and it did matter who was managing. The Kelly quotes are great. They're really great, and they're, they're the admissions from the White Sox that we were hoping to see. That that they understood that they didn't do everything that they needed to do, and they they get it. To go on with more of the quotes, I could have managed the, this from Joe Kelly. I could have managed the team, and we could have finished five hundred. Tony left, Miguel took over, and we still sucked. We played like crap. It was our fault from the get go. It was our fault for not playing with such urgency. It was our fault for not holding each other accountable. It was too late when we decided to get going. We had a lot of guys get injured, but everyone gets injured. We kind of slow played actual baseball. And once we got back into game speed, we played like we were still rehabbing as a unit. Close quote. I appreciate him saying that because he basically signed a contract that allowed for him to rehab in his first year with the White Sox and that they were kind of expecting well, he'll be fine when we make our push or we're getting towards the playoffs. But he wasn't fine. And even when he was fine, he wasn't good. So there's a lot there, but I'm glad that he's he's willing to say it. The concept of slow, slow playing actual baseball. Here's where blame can be placed. Who's supposed to be in charge who's of in, that? Uh, uh, who's in charge? Who sets the tone? Whose job is it to change that? Here's Lance Lynn, where Nightingale writes, it was clear to veterans like Lance Lynn, who played for Larusa in St. Louis, that Larusa was not himself most of the year. He had little energy. He needed daily naps. His voice was so soft, it was often hard to hear him. I love Tony to death, Lynn said, and you could tell he wasn't 100% of what he wanted to be. We knew Tony was going through a lot and tried to be there for him. But you know Tony wasn't going to let us know what was going on. He told us about the heart stuff, but there was more, way more stuff going on. He still won't tell anybody. Okay. So you ha- you didn't have a manager. Right. You didn't have a manager. So then there's the vacuum of leadership that everyone's trying to figure out with the White Sox who, who was going to be the person that could lead. And there are plenty of candidates. Plenty. That guy who just, you quoted, candidate. And it seemed like once we got to the end of the year that Lance Lynn had kind of asserted himself as a guy to follow. What's problematic, if you talk about this from the standpoint of what Kelly is saying, and we'll follow up in a little bit with some of the stuff that Tim said, it feels like everyone was looking at everyone else being like, do you want to lead? Do you want to lead? Well, I can't lead. I'm hurt and I'm gone, so I'm not the leader of the team. Well, what about you? Well, I'm not really a, a leader like that. I kind of lead by example, and I'm setting forth an example. Why won't you follow it? Well, I think as we have this discussion, it's really important to bullet point the reasons why baseball leadership And this discussion of the soft stuff is different, fundamentally different than other sports. Agreed. 
And it's easy to understand why. And there, there's a lot to this. And you know that I'm not as as comfortable as some talking about this stuff. You the soft stuff. They can't measure. Yeah. Just, it's, not, it's not my milieu, but that's what we're talking about. So Good word. Ha- having, having been around baseball teams, having been in major league dugouts, minor league dugouts, and clubhouses, here's a fact. You can't play baseball harder like you can other sports. You can concentrate. You can be attentive. You can be responsible. But it's not an effort sport. You can't, you, you can't immediately translate your desire to be better always into something physical like you can in basketball, hockey, or football. Also, baseball teams are weird because of the divided responsibilities and because of the specification of jobs where pitchers are a different culture on a team than position players are. They're In all, a lot of cases, they're separated. Literally separated, figuratively separated. They do a different job. In major league clubhouses, too, in professional clubhouses, you often have cultural barriers and language barriers that require multiple leaders of different factionalized groups. That's just a fact, and even even teams that are united, even teams that are on the same page, or to use the words of Jose Abreu, a family, and they're able to overcome those things and unite those things, that's usually because of a manager and or a front office that sets that tone from the top. Even on teams where English is the pre- pre- the dominant language, there there can also be that. Like it, Cali, I think, is the one that ter- that termed the this necky that there was a element of Goodness. White Sox clubhouse that was a little necky. And it was the guys that were the bow hunters and stuff. And they were kind of in their own little corner of the clubhouse. So there's that too. Like even even if we're talking about American ball players, that can happen. Mm-hmm. Even within the subgroup, sure. Not to mention Japanese or Korean players. Or black American players being in the clubhouse. Because it's not like Tim had a lot of people to commiserate with in that regard. So, on the one hand, here's Abreu, Pito, leader, Drake LaRoche, where... where, where <laughs> That's what it, they need, Dan! Classic White Sox, right? Where... Necky. Where the, where the leader putatively says, we weren't a family. He said it. I think the best way I can put it is that we weren't a real family. That's what he said to Daryl Van Scowen via an interpreter. Greenberg's. It was Steve Greenberg. Steve Greenberg, excuse me. Yeah, Steve Greenberg's piece. By the way, I was extremely disappointed with some of the reaction that I saw from White Sox fans after that. Because a lot of them were like, oh, he, why didn't he do better? And like, I mean, just, just going number two on the last MVP that the White Sox have had, one of the best ball players that this team has seen over the last decade. And, and people just kind of, like, turn their back on him for the laundry. And the laundry ain't been loyal. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like, the, the, this this laundry hasn't paid off. So I, I, I'm, I was like, wow, like, seeing some of the reactions, whether it was, you know, inside of uh, the, the Van Scowen uh, retweeting Greenberg, 
seeing Josh Sox Machine, Josh tweet about it and seeing the reaction that that Abreu got for telling his truths was it was upsetting to me to say the least. Cuz and I get I get the people that want to compartmentalize and say all right, that's the past. We're focused on the future. That's something that they can say. That's not something that you can say as a fan. And you may think that you have the whole picture of what the dysfunction was over the last two seasons that hasn't allowed for them to 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 get to where we think they can go. But there's still a forensic accounting of that. And guess what? The team's doing it. The players on the team are still talking about it in the hopes that they can not make the same mistakes again. So here's Tim Anderson according to the Sun-Times, cool with what Jose Abreu said. He agrees with Abreu, who said the White Sox were not a family last year. That's true, said Anderson. That's why we're trying to build a togetherness. There's still love, talking about Abreu. So it works for you. Last year didn't work for him. We have to find that togetherness. This spring has been good. Now, well, there there is some danger in it, and it's a small thing, but it, it needs to be noted. In a, with the White Sox in a position to try and build some of this family aspect to their team, I feel like the WBC hurts a little bit. Sure, because they're in adverse positions on other teams. And, and they're in basically training camps away from their teammates. And it's good for baseball, and I think it's good for guys meeting with their peers from their country, their countrymen who play the game. I think it's overall a good thing for baseball, but specifically for the White Sox this year as you're trying to build some of that stuff. Bad timing. It's bad timing. It's bad timing for for it to be this year when they're trying to accomplish this. But what what is striking to me is, and I I always have my North Star with, with the White Sox, as you know, is who's in charge. Up top, at the middle level, and now when we start talking about the clubhouse, here's your ostensible leader, at least according to the Spanish-speaking players, saying, yeah, we, this, this team's way better. I don't know what was going on with that last team. And now you have a leader of your English-speaking position players saying, oh, yeah, he's, he's, he's absolutely he's right. He's completely right. He's right. And among the pitchers, one of your leaders – He's out getting cancer treatment right now. He's still there, though. Like he, he comes he, and plays long it, toss. It's not the same. Agreed. Not the but same. at least he's still there, and I'm, that's I'm, that, I'm, that's. I feel like that's an encouraging sign, I'm, and I'm, I'm hopeful for Liam. Of course, but I don't know who this team's leaders are. I know. I know Lance Lynn likes. He's a good quote, and I know he's he's expressive on the mound. Lucas Giolito, I know, is bright and thoughtful. And self-aware. I think it's Elvis Andrews. It's a, but th- that's what's amazing. Is, Outsider. Is, is this, uh, this guy you waited <laughs> until the very end of free agency to bring in as your bargain second baseman? That's your clubhouse? I'm, I'm serious. I, I, I'm not saying you're wrong. But uh, all it is is this: what we are asking, what we are putting out with this team, whether they meant to or not, by their own nebulousness of leadership at every level, they are asking Pedro Griffal to be a magic bullet. They are. 
They they are asking Pedro Grafol to fix a lot of things. He's never managed, He's, and they're asking him to be a. And, and that's why I keep saying I'm hopeful that this is. But they've made his job way bigger than it should be. But but if I can offer this in the way of of them maybe making the job a little easier, there isn't going to be the same level of pushback, even if that pushback is indirect, that there was between the dugout and the front office. We know we Ideally, know yeah. we know that the front office made suggestions to the previous manager. And the previous manager was like, oh, okay. And basically threw all that stuff in the garbage and did the things that he wanted to do. This manager is more likely to be in stride with the front office than the previous manager was. So in, in that way, if Pedro Grafol is saying, this is the way that we do drills now, he's got backing from the front office. So if players are like, oh, you know, this is not the way we did it. Well, guess what? This is the way we're doing it. Now, this is how we're doing it. This is how we do it. Did you get that reference? Montel Jordan. There you go. All they said was 680 stood. Um, so that's what I think is a little bit different is Pedro Grafol and Rick Hahn are working collectively instead of Rick Hahn kind of having to be like, how do I work around some of the limitations of the manager who's in charge of the team? But meanwhile, as Rick Hahn and Pedro Grafol are doing this, Jerry Reinsdorf is bringing in Bob Nightingale to try to rehabilitate the image of Tony La Russa. So that's going on. Right. And this is these are the thoughts of uh, Bill on Capitol Hill, who says, amazing, Jerry Reinsdorf, the game he revolutionized having passed him by, will settle for spending his last years managing his old grudges, settling his old scores, the citizen cane of baseball. It's the, o- it's the old line about generals always fighting the last war. Here's Reinsdorf sending his stenographer so we can all see how right he was to hire that drooling bigot. And the problem with Pito's line is the White Sox absolutely were a family. The Mansons were a family, too. And don't you don't get to say you're focused on the damn future if you're sending in Bob Nightingale to try to clean up your last hire. And, and what is weird about it is the timing of it, and it's hard to not it's hard to not accuse the White Sox of stuff because of how they do things. All we've heard, all we've heard from reports down at Camelback Ranch is, man, this thing is crisp. The players are responding to it. They are being held accountable. They are working on fundamentals. Grafol seems to have a really good idea of how to structure preparing a baseball team. They're outside of the Clevenger stuff. There, there hasn't been, and I oh, know, yeah. I know that's doing a lot of work. <laughs> oh yeah, the Clevenger stuff. O- outside of that, th- you haven't heard anything like really bad about everything. Has been, man, look at what Pedro Grafol is doing. 
And then right, but then, but then your owner calls in W.W. Beauchamp to come in and, and, and write about the house that Little Bill's building. Dan, that's my point. That when you do have something good, you've got something good that's going on. You've got people being like, you know what? I'm willing to give Pedro Grifol a chance. I, I, I like the cut of his jib. Well, look who's here. And exactly. by the way, let's watch. So, so they're doing it. Who's in charge? Who's in charge? Where maybe, maybe an owner might think, not the best time for this. Right. No, it, does, it doesn't need to be. It really doesn't. Just let him go. You don't need to bring any of it back up into the public discussion. Let him go. Let him go get himself healthy. That's all. Hey, I, I'm again. I'm okay with if Tony wants to hang out at the ballpark, as if it's a way that it allows for his treatment to be an easier thing for him to do. Having a place to go is important for anyone, for older people, and for anyone who's going through some stuff. I'm okay with that. I'm not okay with the retcon of his his managerial career with the White Sox. I want to keep talking about this. There's a part that I want to at least try and define. Like, I want to talk about leadership, and there's some quotes inside of the Nightingale piece and the Van Scowen piece with Tim Anderson that can help us along those lines. So let's discuss that next. A little bit of White Sox talk. It's Bernstein and Holmes here on The Score. You're listening to Bernstein and Holmes, middays 10 to 2 on 670 The Score. I like what I'm seeing. Guys, you know it's a couple it has, of jerks. It has gotten to the point where when I see <laughs> Bob Nightingale's byline, something in my timeline, or I see an email from Mitch or Ryan Porth about here's, it's all I always go, oh no, now what? Because it's never good. Anytime Bob Nightingale writes something about the White Sox, it's never good. It's and for all that Kenny Williams is staying out of White Sox business, and 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 for as sensitive as hyper comically hypersensitive as the White Sox are about petty media grudges, we're in the middle of one with them right now. The guy that is the guy that's up in their business, and they can't say boo to him because he's Jerry Reinsdorf's obsequious water carrier. What did you say? He's. <laughs> He's the silver surfer to Jerry's Galactus. Yeah. That's what he is. He's a, that is so perfect. He's a scrivener. His herald. But, like, it's never good. And this is a team that's incredibly sensitive to how they're portrayed. What are they saying about us? What are they saying about us? Oh, don't talk to him. That, that's enemies and, point, and finger pointing and, and who's on their side and who's not on their side, who's with them and who's not. And it's, it, it's in, a, in a way that's completely unbecoming a, a major league sports team. Yet, that's, that's just how they have operated. But this guy... where because, English is getting really better. Because, he's, because he's, he's Jerry's guy... Guy's got free run of the place, and it's always it's it's it never helps them. It only helps Jerry or Jerry's agendas. So okay, I'm not a huge fan of Rick Hahn right now, as he is not a huge fan of mine. But I do have some sympathy. I imagine that that Rick is is sitting there this morning, having his coffee. There's Red Bull. 
at Camelback Coffee, Ranch. Right? Yeah. He's sitting there and he's like, ah, oh, bleep. <laughs> like, now I got to deal with. Well, he doesn't have to deal with it because he's kind of been a little invisible during camp, which I actually think is a good thing. Um, n- now I got to. Oh, wait, there's a Tony story. Like, there's a Tony story with a whole bunch of quotes from our clubhouse about how everything's not his fault. Meanwhile, things are going great at camp. And I and now there's this. Like, there's this. Why I got to deal with this? If you're if you're Kenny or you're Rick, and you see some of this stuff, aren't you just like again? Jerry really stepped up. Like for a team that is trying desperately to let go of of what's happened over the last two years, there were a lot of guys that went on the record and talked about it. But it's just it's so funny to me. They're like you you just like everything's going fine. They, they got what they wanted out of the Clevenger hearing. Everyone's healthy so far. You've sent your guys to the WBC and nothing bad's happened yet. Everything's going great for the White Sox at Glendale. Except. And then here's the specter. Well, Tony's over there with Jerry. <sighs> taking notes and probably offering them to Jerry. And you just go, come on. Can we just, can you, your way didn't work. Can you just let us run the team? He's on the team for next year. For once, just get out of your just, own way. Just let us run the team. Get out of your own way. And and if you're Pedro Grafal and you get, you, how do you feel? You come home to your wife and family after another day and, and you're implementing your stuff and you're trying to set a tone and you've got your, well, you kind of don't have all your staff. You have the staff that everybody else cobbled together because it's a balkanized representation of the leadership issues that this team has. You know, it's all, it's, it's like, it, it's, it's like a, a prime ministerial parliamentary government formation where so-and-so wins enough of a majority, and now they, they have to build a Knesset government based on factions. That, that's what the, this, this, this coaching staff is. That's the way the White Sox operate, that you, you, you don't have a, a, a situation where this person's in charge and they've got their people and this is how it's run from the top. It's, well, we got a guy here, and this is our guy, and we get this hire, and this is a legacy hire, so Daryl Boston's staying here, and he's staying here. you got to keep this guy, and this is how this is just how things operate around here. And eventually, everybody looks at each other and goes, what are we doing? And there's a quote inside the piece by Nightingale that goes directly against the thesis that Bob has offered up. And it's from Joe Kelly. There's such a big difference. This is the most intense spring I've been a part of in five seasons. It's been like, go, go, go. I didn't see that many guys run that hard in spring training last year. And now you see them working on their base running, sprinting, and all of these crazy drills. And that is leadership. You wouldn't have seen that if the guy that was managing last year was managing this year. Therefore, what's the difference? The difference is in the fact that the other guy is doing a better job 
of managing up until this point. We don't know how it's going to work with wins and losses, but the things that we were complaining about have been addressed. Both by can't the be new true. Guy. Yeah, both can't be true. It can't be. Wow, this is di- different and crisp and better. And then say, oh, by the way, he had nothing to do with anything last year. Well, which is it? If if he wasn't involved, it was entirely on the players. Were they arranging their own drills? Were they coaching themselves? Like both can't. It, it is. It, it's like come on, man. Right. Oh. So, Ray, Mike, did we get the the pronunciation guide? All right, let's. How does Eloy say his name? Eloy Jimenez. There it is, Eloy. He's Eloy. Okay. So not Eloy or Eloy, Eloy. So, Eloy Jimenez. So it is like H.G. Wells' The Time Machine, the Eloy. Didn't they also like? I I actually kind of thought this was great. I'm pretty sure that they even had like. Joe Kelly. Yes, that yes, they <laughs> right? do. Dan they do. Smith, tight end, BYU. And I'm like, yep. That's There's another excellent. interesting one I'd like Mike to play though. Luis Robert. Luis Robert. Robert. Yeah. yeah. And Robert. Got to no, roll the R a little bit. Roll the R and no junior in the pronunciation. Luis Robert. That's Luis right. Robert. And there's space. He didn't say the junior. He didn't say the junior. 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 Okay. Lance Lynn. <laughs> Eloy Jimenez. <laughs> Bears talk when we come back. Uh, We need to triangulate the Bears' current position because I'm my spider sense is just tingling a little bit. Is all I can say about when something might happen. You're full of the comic book references today. Yeah, I guess that's good. Unintentionally, it just uh, it's just that way. Uh, That's next on the score.